Life in the Time of Plague, Julian Roop, Sussex, 1st of May, 2020. A new pharaoh gets a kicking from a modern Moses. As usual, I keep an eye on how things are going in both South Africa and California, and this morning I get an interesting heads up about South Africa's president getting a kicking. Francois, a South African friend based in Kent, forwards the following, saying, bit dramatic, but it sums up the vibe in SA. It is an email sent to the South African president, Cyril Ramaphosa. It reads, Dear President Ramaphosa, I'm going to keep this brief because I know you're dealing with a lot. We've all been ready to support you and your administration in your efforts to save lives from this pandemic. Even people like me who have questioned the idea of a lockdown as the best response have decided to comply and do whatever we could to help. We set aside our concerns over the heavy-handedness of the police and army. We swallowed and accepted that poor people in informal housing would be crammed into their one-room dwellings for a month. We limited our trips to the shops and even accepted not being able to buy hot food for whatever inexplicable reason. When you couldn't put your mask on, we laughed and we were charmed to see that you were able to laugh at yourself too. For a time, you won everyone over again. You yourself have said that it has taken much for people to give up their liberties, their right to be with family and friends, and the ability to freely move around. Our patience and emotional state of affairs are on a knife edge. We are losing hope. Governments walk a fine line in times like these, where the regulations not only have to make sense, but also have to significant buy-in from the public. Otherwise, people will break them in big ways and small. South Africans are mostly compliant, but when you promise something and then break that promise, it makes us feel like we should break your regulations in return. Many of us aren't afraid of the virus anymore. It's our health, and we'll take our chances, thank you. We are afraid of the havoc your lockdown is wreaking on the economy, on people's lives and livelihoods. I see fewer and fewer explanations from ministers and more and more capricious, some would say spiteful, regulation. I'm not a smoker, I don't like cigarettes at all, but when Minister Dlamini Zuma announced that she was, after a consultation none of us believe happened, going to keep the ban on tobacco products in place, many of us, even the non-smokers, were ready to give her the middle finger and start risking breaking the rules. There are more of us than there are police officers and soldiers, so if you piss enough people off, things get very hairy. I'm sure those advisers in the security cluster have mentioned that they can't shoot us all or put us all in jail. Your government, sir, have not covered themselves in glory over the last 10 years. Some people in this country already have a taste of anarchy, where municipalities are bankrupt and there's no service delivery. They see no evidence that the ANC will fix parastatals, cronyism, kleptocracy, and for once and for all cease their childish flirtation with outdated and failed socialist ideas. Your hold on power depends on people willing to comply with the rules, the same rules they expect you to comply with. Our patience grows thin, and in tandem, your tax, 
collection runs dry. When you speak of a social compact, it goes both ways. You have to take your boot off our throats. When Moses told Pharaoh to let his people go, Pharaoh didn't listen and there were plagues. We all know how that story went for Pharaoh. You have to start letting our people go, Mr. President, or this plague will be the least of our worries. Even Moses would tell you that. Yours, Gareth Cliff. Oh Lord, my heart goes out to Cyril. Who'd be a politician right now? I think President Ramaphosa has played a blinder and covered himself with respect for his statesmanship. But there will always be naysayers. I wonder what Mr. Cliff would be saying if South Africa had Britain's death toll. It has been a bizarre day weather-wise. We've had three mini-storms pass through, with sunshine between. After lunch, Jan and I decided to have a walk down the hill to see the bluebells. Coming out of our drive, a small grey Renault pulled up. It was Georgie Winters, the groom who was looking after Callum for me. She said that he has been behaving himself on their walks down to his paddock, so much so that she takes her own horse, Claude, at the same time, walking the two large warm bloods to pasture. There was, however, a but. Two days ago, Callum got the wind under his tail and decided to take off for his field, almost tearing the lead rope out of Georgie's hand. But Georgie, though not tall, is no pushover. She hung on for grim death and managed to control the huge 17-hand-high chestnut with both hands, letting Claude loose. Claude, to his eternal credit, just kept walking by her side. Callum, she said, was not best pleased to be thwarted in his bid for freedom and made faces. She is a brick, is Georgie. As we headed downhill into the woods, the sky to the west turned an ominous black. At first the thunder was muted, but then the rain started softly, and by the time we reached the valley floor, the storm was overhead with lashing rain, thunder and lightning. Gus was totally unperturbed, and then it began to hail just as we reached the bluebells. We sheltered under the trees with our jacket hoods up over our caps and stood, heads down, like old horses, watching the mossy ground underfoot turn white with hail. As it eased off, we saw a figure appear out of the mist, a neighbour of ours, Susie and her labradoodle Stanley, a large, white, curly-haired lad, coming down the track, heading to their home in the woods nearby. We were guests of hers and her husband Ed at Christmas, which seems now like a lifetime ago, not just four months. Stanley stood like a good un. He was a total teenage tearaway who used to jump on Gus when we were out walking, but is now a rather sedate gent of a dog. Gus was not entirely convinced and stood tight against my leg. As we headed home, we passed the bridge where long ago we hid clues to a treasure hunt for a friend's young daughters to find. At my age, time ricochets back and forth, the present, the past, the distant past. Facing the steep climb up the hill to the cottage, my memory canters back to a scene at this very spot that still makes me smile, even now. Some years ago, I was riding home on Chancer, a lovely dappled grey Irish draft, which I bought as an unbroken three-year-old, and who turned into a great riding horse, who was unusually good on the forest at night, under moonlight. As I pointed him up the hill for a last run home, I noticed a bunch of young cyclists on mountain bikes, 
pelting down the hill at a great lick. The lead rider spotted me and yelled over his shoulder to his friends in Afrikaans, Opas, opas, das a utopi opa pert. Careful, there's an old codger on a horse. I could not resist. As they came level with me, having slowed right down, I in turn shouted out, Vida focus yo utopi. Who the hell is your old codger? There was a stunned silence, and then we all started laughing at the same time. We chatted for a while, and it turned out they were down from London for the day for a spot of countryside enjoyment. We spoke of South Africa, and I told them I was from the Cape and had lived here for decades. As ever, with fellow South Africans, there was an instant connection, and as I wished them well and rode up the hills slowly, tears were in my eyes, and a bit choked by the warmth and mensalicate, the humanity of the conversation, thinking of all I had lost. Back home from our walk once more in the present, Jan planned a delicious supper, having had a food delivery earlier, steak and asparagus with a baked potato. I put my feet up with a bag of salt and vinegar crisps and listened to the BBC for the news of the day. Currently, the search for a vaccine is in the forefront of all minds. The first human trial for a vaccine was announced last month by scientists in Seattle. Unusually, they are skipping any animal research to test its safety or effectiveness. In Oxford, the first human trial in Europe has started with more than 800 recruits. Pharmaceutical giants Sanofi and GSK have teamed up to develop a vaccine. And this floored me. Australian scientists have begun injecting ferrets with two potential vaccines. It is the first comprehensive preclinical trial involving animals, and the researchers hope to test humans by the end of April. Ferrets? How very strange. However, no one knows how effective any of these vaccines will be. My bet is that Australian Bruce's and Sheila's will thrive on the ferret serum but it may not cure us all.